Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, thank you now for the opportunity to open the truth of your word, the, the Really, Lord, the foundation for our lives, uh, the rock in which we build our families and our businesses and our decisions. Lord, I pray that as we uh, open and study and read, you would just enlighten us, Father, through the power of the Spirit. May we understand more. May we we find joy, Lord, that we're going to see this morning in salvation, but understand the clear warnings of Scripture in our hearts and our lives. Make us alert and attentive, Lord, to to your truth, very sensitive to the Spirit working in our lives. May you receive glory, Father, and may we be transformed through this process more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, I pray you had a good Thanksgiving, time to relax, see family and friends. I decided not to preach on gluttony this morning. (laughs) Great opportunity just to have some fun this last week. We are continuing our study this morning in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, a sermon series we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. And and I've said that a bunch and I'm going to continue to say that because God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And and the point we ought to get from this and the truth that we ought to learn from this is that God is still doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. He still does great work through, through, through the people who, who maybe don't think they're good enough or maybe don't think they can accomplish enough or maybe don't understand the Lord really does want to work. So I'm, I'm talking directly to you when I say to you, God still does extraordinary things to ordinary people. That's you and me. But the, the thing we've seen in Scripture, and we're going to see it again this morning, it's not always easy, is it? Right? I think some people have this, this misunderstanding that, that salvation and following Christ is this easy path. And oftentimes it's very difficult because persecution comes, bad things happen. We, we've seen that already in the first several chapters. We're going to see it again this morning. But through the power of the Spirit and His working in our lives, we will prevail if we follow Him. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, doesn't mean it's going to be simple, doesn't mean we're going to be free from struggles in life, but God will use us. And so we see a kind of an interesting change this morning. We're going to talk in some detail about this, but we, we see the, the great growth and, and joy of salvation in Acts chapter 8, some of the same things we've already seen with a twist that we're going to talk about. But at the end of our study this morning, there, there's a real stern warning. And so I want to think through those this morning and see what we can learn about the gospel and the spread of the gospel in Acts chapter 8. We'll begin at verse 1. We have it on the screen. And the very first part, just so you'll know, is a tie back to the end of chapter 7. Just a a side note in biblical interpretation over the years. You probably know this, but if you don't, it's a good time for you to learn it. The uh, chapter division and the verse divisions were not found in the original text. 
So, so when Luke wrote the book of Acts, he didn't divide up uh, chapter 1, chapter 2. He just wrote it all out. When it was translated into the King James in English, that's when the verse divisions and the chapter divisions were given. So those are kind of created by man. So every now and then, we have these weird sort of divisions. You would think the first part of Acts 8-1 would have gone with the end of chapter 7, but it was given uh, the division of eight chapter one, eight, chapter 8, verse 1. So just so you'll know, that's a tie-in to the end of chapter 7 and Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen that's tying the end of chapter 7 with his execution into the beginning now of chapter 8. Now as we continue in that verse, and there arose on that day, the day that Stephen was executed, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So let's stop for a minute. We're going to make a, a kind of a point, pull out a point here, and then explore it. Here's truth number one. We see already in these first few verses, it's the same sort of thing we've already seen. We're going to see it again. It's going to take a little bit of a twist this morning, but truth number one, we see the spread of the gospel. Right? This whole section is about the growth and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's something interesting that happens, and this is an important change for us. Right, as we kind of take a step back, we're, we're walking verse through verse, verse by verse through this book. But as we take a step back and look at big picture, we're reminded that everything up to this point in Acts has been centered in Jerusalem. Right, so, so geographically, everything that we've seen and studied, the spirit, the growth of the church, the salvations, the arrests of the apostles, the miraculous, all those things have been centered in Jerusalem, right? But let me remind you of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We keep going back to that because it's the foundation of the rest of the book. Acts 1.8 gives us this template of where we're going to go. Acts 1.8 says you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right? So there's this sense of growth from the middle in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So up until this point, we've seen great numerical growth, uh, great workings of the Spirit, healings, miracles. But all of those things have happened in Jerusalem. Now, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Let's look at that verse again, if we could. Saul approved his execution. And, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Right, so, so persecution is going to come back to the church. It's worse than before, right? Because now it's a great persecution. That persecution leads them to be what? Scattered. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Go to verse 4 now. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, now here, here's a truth that's, that's hard for us to kind of understand in our lives. And, and, and sometimes it's hard for us to kind of process this. But the Lord in Acts chapter 8, and he does in other parts of Scripture, he uses persecution as the catalyst to drive church growth. 
Now let that sink in for a second because a lot of times we think church growth and the movement of the Spirit and all the things we're seeing in the book of Acts, sometimes we think those things only happen in good times. We need to be reminded that it's because of, not in spite of, because of persecution that the church grows and is spread. Now here's what one scholar said. He said, in reality, the evangelism of the Samaritans and the Gentiles did not take place because men actively sought to obey the command of our Lord expressed in the Great Commission, but rather providentially brought about by the sovereign head of the church through persecution. Right? The saints went about sharing the gospel not so much out of obedience as out of necessity. Persecution brought about proclamation, how God's ways surpass our own. Right, so let's fast forward about 2,000 years and let's apply that to the bad situations we're going through right now. Let's understand this truth. Sometimes God uses bad situations to accomplish His purposes. Right, sometimes we go through difficult moments and trials and persecutions in our lives and we wonder why we're going through them. We ask the Lord to remove them. We struggle with them. We wish we didn't have to deal with them. But we see scripturally in Acts 8, and we've seen it in other times as well. The book of James is an example. We see oftentimes that the Lord will use difficult situations. He'll use struggles in our lives. Oftentimes he'll use persecution for his own purposes. So here's the question we need to ponder this morning. How are we using our bad situations for the glory of the Lord? It's a question you ought to be asking. Whatever you're going through, we, we could go around this congregation at the 8.30, the 9.30, the 11, all of our services and Sunday school, and I promise you everybody's dealing with something. That's just life. We all have struggles, we all have difficulties at home, at work, spouse, children, health, whatever. We've got issues. The question isn't, are we going to have these issues? The question is, how are we going to allow those things in our lives and those difficulties to bring glory to the Lord? Because usually what happens in our difficulties is we kind of get inward focused. And we think oftentimes about ourselves. The early church went through great persecution and God used that to spread the gospel well beyond Jerusalem. And this is important, right? Because these, these people go through persecution, they're scattered. Like my thinking would be, man, if I went through this persecution and was scattered, I, I might go off into some other part of the world and just kind of go into hiding because Paul's looking for me, Saul at that point, he's, he's going house to house, the Bible says he's persecuting believers. This great persecution arose. I might go and kind of hide, try to find a place where they didn't know where I was, try to kind of go incognito and kind of blend in. That's not what happens. Look at, look at verse 5 again. Pull it up if you would, please. Listen to what happens when these people are persecuted. So Philip, right, went down to the city of Samaria. He goes because of the persecution. And instead of hiding and kind of being a nobody and blending in, what does he do? He proclaims to them Christ. Right? The, the very uh, name that brought persecution in Jerusalem, instead of hiding it, Philip's going to go and proclaim it now in Samaria, right? To the ends of the earth. Now you may remember that the, the people of, uh, the Jewish people didn't, didn't like the Samarians. You may remember that Jesus in, in John chapter 4 goes through Samaria and he meets the woman at the well and he has this conversation. We kind of understand from that conversation in that context that they don't like each other. 
They're not friendly with each other. And so we see this, this interesting dynamic, right? The spread of the gospel through persecution. Philip goes and he proclaims Christ. But he doesn't just proclaim Christ to people that he likes, right? This is, this is application. He doesn't just proclaim Christ to people that he likes or people that look like him or people that have his same background and culture. He goes to the people that he in fact doesn't like, that don't fit in, that are not like him, and he preaches the gospel. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It's for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We need to be willing to share our faith with anyone at any time. Now here's the interesting thing about what the Lord has done, I think, in America. He calls us to go, and I believe that's still the calling. We're sent out. We've talked about that and seen that scripturally. But here's what the Lord has done for the church in America. Rosemont, I think, is an exception. But by and large, there are a lot of churches and believers that are complacent in Western Christianity. They just don't want to go. They don't want to do. I I praise the Lord. That's not the heartbeat of this church. But here's what the Lord's done. Because the, the American church, by and large, has not gone. You know what the Lord's done? He's brought these people to us. I mean, we live in a country now where there are multiple nationalities. You know, if you go, we went to uh, Atlanta. Randy and I went to Atlanta several years ago and did kind of a vision tour of the city of Atlanta. The city of Atlanta, by the way, is very unreached. You may not know that. A fewer Christians in Atlanta than in some of these countries that we consider unreached, other part of the world. But in the city of Atlanta, there's great diversity. And in the city of Clarkston, you can go Google this yourself and research it. Clarkston, a little city, kind of east and a little bit north, just outside the perimeter of Atlanta. In the high school, they estimate that there are a hundred languages spoken in that high school alone. A hundred. And that's like a 50-minute drive from here. And in Troop County alone, all the nationalities and all the people from different parts of the world, and I have conversations with people regularly that say, hey, I met a person from this country or speaks this language or has this background different than mine, and we need to be sharing the gospel with those people. I just don't believe we're going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to say, you know, that was just a coincidence. Just an accident that all those people just happened to show up at Troop County. I just don't think that's the way the Lord's going to respond to us. We see the gospel spread. Bring that... First point back up. When we see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, he calls us to reach people, to share people, to share in difficulty, in persecution, in good times, and bad times. Our calling is to spread and share the gospel with everybody. That's what Acts teaches us. Now, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens when the gospel is shared. Let's pull up verse 6 now. <clears throat> so the crowd, right? So Philip goes. He's sharing the gospel. He's preaching. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in that city. But, verse 9, this is an interesting, this is, this is you kind of think about the flow of this text. This is a sidebar and we're going to come back to it in just a second. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So they see this man, Stephen. He's a magician. They say he's got the power of God. Verse 11. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now, kind of back to the main idea of verse 12. But when they, these are the people, believed Philip 
as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14, And when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there. We've seen the spread of the gospel. We've seen the growth of the gospel. We've seen persecution sending people out into other parts of the world to share the gospel. Here's truth number two. In these verses, we see the joy of the gospel. We see the joy of the gospel. Now, I want to draw your attention to several parts of this scripture. Several things in these last few verses that are important to us. One of the things we see is that the spread of the gospel results in signs and wonders, verses 6 and 7. All right, so people are being healed. People that are paralyzed are walking. Demons come out of people. It's very reminiscent of what Christ did. Like Christ walked through the area of Galilee and he healed people. He did incredible miracles, signs and wonders. And this leads to something very interesting. Pull up Acts 8 verse 8. All of the preaching of the gospel and the signs and the wonders and the miraculous things leads to this. So there was much, what's the word there? Joy in the city. Right, people are being saved, people are being healed, miraculous things are happening, the good news is being proclaimed. It leads to great joy in that city. Now this last week for, for many of us was a week filled with some times of joy. You had the opportunity to spend time with, I hope, family, friends. You had the opportunity to be off work a little bit. Had the opportunity to eat a lot of good food. Had the opportunity to watch some football. Maybe you had joy yesterday. Maybe you didn't, right? But if you, if you, like if you'd have walked in my house yesterday at various different times during the day because our family is a little divided. In the earlier part of the day, I was cheering and jumping up down and excited. Latter part of the day, my wife and daughters were cheering and jumping up. There was a lot of joy in our house yesterday. And I love getting excited. I've talked about this before. There's, there's nothing wrong with cheering. for It's, it's, it's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But here, here's a, a personal conviction that I, I have on a regular basis. Why don't I respond with all that joy and excitement when people come to Christ? That just, that just it convicts me. I'm telling you, it convicts me. I'll jump up and down for a touchdown, which is fine. Why am I not jumping up and down when somebody gives their life to Christ? Why is it we can find so much joy in, in, in the things of the world that when it's all said and done won't really matter? But the things that, that are actually eternal, we, we just kind of have lost the joy. Now let's take it a step farther. Let's get even a little bit more personal. Right, maybe we're not finding joy in, in the salvation of other people, but do you still have joy in your own salvation? I mean, you, just think about this now. Let's speak in terms of eternity. The, the Lord has rescued you from eternal punishment and separation from Him. Through, through no act of your own, right? We're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. We don't deserve salvation. We can never earn salvation. Nothing we've ever done. And yet Jesus Christ, in His infinite wisdom and love for us, stepped down out of heaven, sacrificed His own flesh and blood, gave His body for our salvation. We should like wake up every morning and kind of jump for joy that we've been given that chance. And yet I'll speak for myself, oftentimes I don't. 
And so I just thought about that. And I just kind of thought about the, the contrast there. And I thought, you know, there's probably two problems. There's probably two reasons that I've lost my joy in salvation. One, I'm probably not praying enough about it. I'm probably not asking God to remind me enough. I thought, you know, I need to pray more about joy in salvation. Other people's and myself. And I need to repent of that, frankly. I think it's sinful sometimes when we just kind of blow off this idea of salvation. We're kind of, good for you, what's next, right? That's a, that's a life eternally changed. It, it ought to bring joy and, and excitement to us in our lives. But I, I want to show you the key here to these verses. This is important. What happens? Bring up verse 12 and 13. This is why this joy is possible. Verse 12, because they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom in the name of Jesus, and they were baptized, both men and women. Right now, I don't, I don't ever want to miss the opportunity <clears throat> when we come to sections of Scripture that speak about the idea of salvation to talk about salvation. So I've got something I want to put up on the screen. Why don't you put that up about grace and faith? If we wanted to kind of summarize salvation, we could say it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. <clears throat> And there, there, there are lots of verses. I want, to, I want to read a couple because I don't want to assume ever that everybody in here is a believer. So if you're already a believer, right, and you know that, and you're, you're kind of solidified there in your mind, you pray right now for people in this room that may not be. So Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Salvation comes only by faith in Christ. It's a free gift of God. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good things. If, if you never repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're not a believer. And so we, we, we see that this, this sense of joy and excitement, the spread of the gospel. People are hearing the truth. Good news is being preached. Good news is being proclaimed. Christ alone. People are being saved. Lives are being changed. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 18. This is very interesting. Now let's continue with our study this morning. Acts 8 verse 18. Now when Simon, this is the guy we had the side note about him. He was the magician. He'd been doing some pretty incredible things. People had been following him. They'd even claimed at times that he was a god. If you remember, the Bible tells us that he believed and was baptized. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, right? So the, the apostles uh, show the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Simon likes that. He wants that power. He's got in mind his magic, I guess. He's got in mind bringing glory to himself. He offers money, saying, verse 19, Give me this power also. So that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, I want this same power. I want to be able to lay my hands on people and they receive the Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible... The intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are all that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem 
preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So, so we've seen the growth of the church through persecution. We, we've seen the, the, the uh, joy of the gospel through salvation and through baptism. Truth number three, and, and this one is going to be difficult, but I want to spend some time really thinking through it. Number three, we now see the warning of the gospel. There, there's a great warning here that I believe if we're not careful, we're just going to kind of blow right through it and, and miss it. Now remember, the whole kind of flow of this text is about the growth of the church. The growth of the gospel, the spread through persecution. Anytime you're studying scripture, you ought to kind of get a, a, a big picture sense of like, what's the first half of chapter 8 really about? Like if you had to summarize the first half of chapter 8... What would you say? The growth of the gospel, the spread of the gospel through persecution, something like that. Good things are happening. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. People are being saved. People are being baptized. And in the, in the middle of this, just these few verses, there's this interesting side note of this guy named Simon. Now, why would Luke, being led through the Spirit to write the book of Acts... Spend time talking about this guy that did some silly things and turns out wasn't a believer after all. Why not just tell us about the people that were saved, the people that were baptized, the lives that were changed? I believe that Luke put this in here very simply as a warning to us. Because you've got this man, Simon, I want to walk back through it just for a few minutes, who seems to be legit, seems to be good. In fact, we're told a few verses before that he actually believed and was baptized. And yet in verse 18, it seems as though something has changed. Pull those verses up for me again, if you would, please. What's, what's the warning here with Simon? Here's what verse 18 says. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, right? He wanted money for this. Saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now he sees the power, he sees what the Spirit does, he kind of sees ways in which he probably can benefit from this monetarily, he sees in ways in which this can bring him glory and give him power, he offers money. Listen in verse 22, pull that up to Peter's response. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, Pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. When we use words like repent and, and forgiven and, and change and the intent of your heart, we, we get this sense that Simon, although he said he believed, was not really converted to Christianity. We would say that his faith was fake. Uh, it wasn't real. It was counterfeit. And we, we get the same sense in some of the things that Peter says to him. Peter says, your heart is not right before God. Peter says you need to repent of this wickedness. He says your heart needs to be forgiven. You are in the bond of iniquity. It sounds like we're describing a person that's not a believer. Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years. We need to draw this conclusion, make this connection, apply this to our lives. Why does this matter to us? It matters to us because there's a man named Simon who confessed and was baptized but wasn't really a believer. So process again. There's this man who confessed and was baptized but was not really a believer. So, so I would say to you, there, there is a chance in our lives currently that maybe we've professed, maybe we've said something one time in our life, maybe we were even baptized but we're not truly believers. I have conversations with people oftentimes about this idea of salvation. 
And a lot of times they'll say to me, you know, when I was a kid, I prayed this prayer and, and praise the Lord for that. They'll say when I was a kid, I was baptized. But as we start thinking through it and trying to understand it, they'll say, you know, there's never really been fruit in my life. I've never really grown in my faith. I've never really had a desire to understand Scripture. I've never had a desire to study or pray or memorize. I'm not really growing in my faith. They will say to me, am I really a believer? Well, that's always between you and the Lord. I would never assume. I have no desire to try to choose. That's your choice. That's between you and the Lord. I don't know. But what I would say to you is if you just prayed a prayer one time when you were young and there's never been any fruit, whether you were baptized or not, that doesn't necessarily make you a believer. We need to be careful here. We need to be very careful here. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 13. It's the parable that Christ gives of the, of the sower, of the farmer, who's got kind of a bag full of seed, the Bible says, and he goes around and, and he sows. The Bible says in, in, in Matthew 13... Verse 3, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, right, he's basically throwing the seed, which is the gospel. Right, it's a parable. There's this, there's this farmer who's throwing out seed. Uh, it's like he's sharing the gospel with people. He's just kind of throwing out seed, throwing out the gospel wherever he can. And he, uh, he says that some seed fell along the path, like on the, on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell along the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seeds fell on the good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Jesus goes on to explain the parable that sometimes the gospel is sown, sometimes people hear the gospel, sometimes they even may say they've made a profession of faith, but it's not real because there's no lasting effects. There's no fruit, there's no growth, there's no way to look back on that life and see that it's true salvation, that it's true belief. I think far too many people have got kind of this false sense of security in their salvation. This time last year, my family and I were gearing up to go to Zambia and spend Christmas there at New Day Orphanage. And I came back, and some of you guys may remember the story that while we were there, my youngest two, Jonas and Lydia, got malaria. And malaria is a very scary thing for Americans especially, and we kind of wig out. And It was a scary moment for us, but I'll, I'll never forget, as I look back on it, it seems so surreal to me, but I'll never forget, they, they got sick just a few days after we got there. They must have contracted it like a day or two after we arrived. There's about a seven to ten day incubation period. And, and they kind of started getting sick and a fever and not feeling very well. But for young kids, that's not out of the ordinary. You know, you have kids, they get sick. And, and they, would, they would feel bad. And then like they went through this for two or three days. They would feel really bad. And then like just all of a sudden the next day they would feel okay again. And they would get up and they'd go play or they'd go to school or they'd do their normal. And then they'd feel bad again and then they'd get well. And there was these two or three days where they felt good, didn't feel good. And we kind of got lulled into this false sense of security. They were really okay. They just got a little virus. No big deal. They're, they're okay one day, not the next. They'll get over it. Two. We were kind of lulled into this false sense of security that they were okay when in fact they weren't okay. They were very sick. I just worry that far too many Christians have been lulled into this I'm okay deal when in fact you're just really sick. Maybe you've never truly accepted Christ. Maybe you're more interested in, in your own glory like Simon was. Maybe you have the things of the world in mind instead of the things of Christ. But I would just encourage you, I think there's this incredibly strong warning from Luke 
right in the middle of the growth of the church. There's an incredibly strong warning. You need to examine your heart. We, we need to be sure that our salvation is real. I'm not trying to talk you out of salvation. I'm not trying to scare you. That's not my heart at all. My heart is that you just examine yourselves and, and through the, the leading of the Spirit, either be sure that your salvation is real, that it's secure, that it actually happened, or make a decision to accept Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Because we, we see the growth, we see the joy, but we see the warning. God, God wants to do incredible things in our lives, but it starts with salvation in Him. And so I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to close here in just a second and I'm going to pray. But as I do that, I want you to spend the next couple of minutes, instead of just kind of listening to my prayer, I want you to pray for yourself and just examine your heart. And let me just say this. I know in a group this size, sometimes it's, it's um, intimidating or scary or whatever word you want to use. If you don't feel like coming down right now, that's okay. I'll hang out here for a little while after it's over. You can call me later in the day if you want to. We can meet later. I can meet you in the morning. I can talk to you on the phone. I just want you to make sure you get this right. Whatever I can do to help you understand the gospel and real salvation, I'll be happy to do for you this morning. But you pray and examine your heart as I pray for us this morning. Father, we just thank you for the truth of your word in Acts chapter 8. It's compelling and challenging and convicting, Father. I thank you that you included the story of Simon, Father, who seems just kind of like a footnote to us. But in reality is a man who professed but never really believed, never really accepted whose heart was not right, Father. I just pray that we would examine our own hearts to be sure we don't fall into that same trap, Father. I pray we would understand that the importance of spreading, sharing the gospel. I pray we'd, we'd find true joy in salvation. But I pray we would just examine our hearts and heed this warning to understand where we are in our walk with you. Father, use us for the sake of your kingdom and we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and pray or, or speak to me or respond however you'd like. This is your chance as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.